Google was trying to claim that they were all their old boyfriends, which is kind of funny considering that there were, what, 12 corpses in the basement? <laughs> I am joined by Ricardo Deacon. This is The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them and then we Skype to discuss them. You are listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is Arsenic and Old Lace from Grad stars is the one sane member of a charmingly lunatic family in Frank Capra's classic comedy. When Mortimer Brewster brings his new bride to meet his two kindly aunts, he discovers that, among many other acts of charity, the two genteel ladies help lonely old men die happy by feeding them a wonderful meal before poisoning them. <laughs> Now Mortimer desperately wants to protect the serial murderers he loves, stop them from killing anyone else, and keep his new bride from discovering how deranged his family really is. Well, look, darling. Look, I, I'm frightfully sorry, but I've got an awful shock for you. Ted has killed a man, darlings. <laughs> Nonsense. But there's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear. We know. You know? Of course. Yes, but, but it has nothing to do with Teddy. But, but, but oh, the now, Mortimer, you just forget about it. Forget you ever saw the gentleman. The film was directed by Frank Capra, Triple Offender, produced by Frank Capra and Jack L. Warner, screenplay by Julius J. Epstein and Philip G. Epstein. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Based on Arsenic and Old Lace, a 1941 play by Joseph Kesselring. Starring Cary Grant, Peter Lore, Priscilla Lane and Jack Carson. Music by Max Steiner. Cinematography by Saul Polito and edited by Daniel Mandel. This week's film was, unsurprisingly, considering it's his third Frank Capra pick, chosen by Ricardo. Hey, Ricardo, why did you pick Arsenic and Old Lace? Uh, I picked it in a way also to be like a change of pace because we've been like increasingly going down the rabbit hole of more and Darkness. more depressing movies. <laughs> And uh, I think I was uh, quite glad that we picked this considering what happened uh, this week, etc. I don't think that yeah. I could talk about politics or anything like that. No, uh, uh, no. And not even a Frank Capra movie that was more socially tinged, I think, would have been a bit too difficult this week. Yeah, like uh, in this case, it is. Uh, I think it's also like... Uh, Besides um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I don't think that any of Frank Capra's movies are necessarily schmaltzy, but they have mm. a, a fame for it. Like, uh, for some reason, before I even started watching his movies, what I was expecting is that everything will be, like, schmaltzy and emotional and stuff like that. And certainly there is in a lot of his movies, but even with something as... Uh, schmaltzy as the end of it's a wonderful life people forget that it's like preceded by two and a half hours of super <laughs> depressing fucking things about how you're no matter how well you live your life you're gonna be ultimately sad and you have to uh and feel like you're a failure and you have to just 
reconcile the fa- with that fact. <laughs> Two thirds of the movie is the main character being talked literally off the ledge. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like and it's like so it earns its little like people the victories at the end. That's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. That's right. That's right. And even though like Mr. Smith goes to Washington is like certainly more schmaltzy, it's also like a movie that is basically saying that your entire government is corrupt to fuck and uh, every single decision is made against your interest rather than for your interest, etc. And it takes like one man to kind of try to do it and also the movie makes the argument that that like there's no Mr. Smith in Washington so even though it's a fantasy it makes you depressed because when you leave the cinema it's like yeah that doesn't exist Uh, in the case of this movie it's like it's a pitch black comedy and I think that it is quite theatrical. Obviously, it's based on the play. And as far as I know, I've never seen the play or read it. But as far as I know, I think it sticks quite close to the structure of the play and the script mm. itself. But I think that Capra just about does enough cinematically to not make it feel completely stagey. It's that kind of movie that you, you're you able to, to see that... The movie originated in the theater, but it uh, it has gained something because they didn't just shoot the play. They do enough mm. with the cinematography and stuff to add the dimension the cinema gets, particularly with close-ups and stuff like that. And I think that, for example, like Cary Grant's performance wouldn't work in the stage, but I think it really works in the movie. Uh, the man of many faces. I think that like uh, it's si- similar to like uh, Gary Cooper, not Gary Cooper, who's uh, the Clark Gable. The Capra had a tendency to get these kind of like macho men kind of thing and make them completely stupid in his movies. When you say others, do you mean others? Cary Grant, even afterwards, he said that he felt like he overacted because he never trusted. Yeah, I read uh, that. He never trusted fully Capra's view idea of the movie, but I think the biggest proof against his own judgment against his own performance is that it was so influential. You can see actors that have completely based their acting careers on how Cary Grant acts in this movie. Like, uh, Jim Carrey is completely, (laughs) like, just doing this in every single movie that he's done. But in a much more annoying way. It's brilliant and it works because it's still based in reality. So it's kind of like you can feel that this is not him normally. It is just him having to process all this craziness that is happening in his world and his life and also as like the audience surrogate in a way it it does a perfect job of putting yourself of like these low ladies will do this the fuck is going on kind of thing and but most importantly i think that uh 
the the most clear uh, Thor line in the sense of inspiration for Cary Grant in this is George Clooney, but in particularly in particular George Clooney in Coen Brothers movies. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, like he plays this character. Like Born After Reading is him doing Cary Grant in this movie, or even. Uh, oh brother where art thou like uh, i'm gonna say oh brother where art thou there's a lot of like face gymnastics that he's doing in that movie yeah even when he wakes up and he's like my hair uh, it's it's exactly <laughs> that vein of humor and i think that the movie works because it balances that kind of like stupid humor with really smart plotting and pacing and also the fact that it's like pitch black the like mm-hmm. the amount of times that Cary Grant to be kind of like completely forgetting what they're discussing because he's just trying to oh, like yes. logically kind of uh, <laughs> figure out the logistics of what's happening. He's already he's already said his plan of action, which is to get those documents signed and to get Teddy out of the building. So <laughs> that is his focus. I, I actually also absolutely love that the movie makes the point to make like uh, Cary Grant as horrible as the like the Johnny is portrayed as the villain of the movie. But I think that Peter Lord does a good job of also like pointing out that everybody's doing the same. It's just that it's like the perception of it is different that even Cary Grant trying to like frame his brother for the murder of 12 people that he didn't commit and just like completely pushing it aside saying that it's like oh yeah but it's a good kind of oh yeah it's a good place that we're sending him etc but you know you're still making an innocent man take the fall for the murders of your aunts yeah. uh, i also find it kind of interesting that like uh, I've read quite a bit about Teddy Roosevelt and the first time that I watched it I hadn't I didn't know that much about Teddy Roosevelt not realizing how good of an impression of Teddy your man is doing <laughs> oh, really? yeah yeah like uh, and also okay. cause, like it's strange <clears throat> considered because Teddy would have been president in the 1910s so for the audiences whenever this came out it would have been very similar to somebody doing a Nixon impression nowadays. Mm. But you know what I mean? That it is like, uh, but it's, I like how specific it is about Teddy. Like the, the thing of charging that he kept doing that mm-hmm. in the, like, because he joined the army during the uh, Cuban American war, the Spanish American war, but it was fought in Cuba because it used to be like a Spanish kind of, and uh, he just, killed a bunch of people because he kept charging because like he was a military man but he was like a brave man so he'd just go like well oh, there's a enemy position charge and then it's like where's the next enemy position charge so like i think that is making a comment on that obviously in and also the fact that he took over panama and stuff so like the things of the panama canal and stuff is very specific which I didn't get the the first time that I watched it. And I think I like it also that even though it is like making fun to a certain degree on mental health and it's like clearly like 40s kind of thing. But also the fact that even at the end, it's clearly depicted that everybody's crazy in the movie. Um, uh, and also that it's like Teddy, if anything, is the only character that gets away that is completely the film itself treats him with like a lot of warmth. 
that he's mm. just like even as Teddy, he's nicer than Teddy Roosevelt. You know, like uh, as that he's like wearing. Oh my God, another yellow fever. Oh, we never had a case there. The other the. <laughs> The window they very seat. much they very much run with the the idea of like there's like a, a a certain amount of sense and geography and logic to him as Teddy Roosevelt. So like you know even we're like plotting it around different parts of the house and everything and like the you know the the window seat and you know Panama and everything and that like they all know kind of the rules. Everyone in the neighborhood kind of knows the rules of this world and stuff. The only time I think that that kind of falters a little bit is whenever they they're talking to the sanatorium. And the guy's like, oh, we already have four Teddy Roosevelt's. And you're like, oh, that feels kind of like a cheap joke. <laughs> yeah, like uh, we could do with a Napoleon, I think he says, yeah. which is... Uh, but uh, I like all the performances. I think in particularly the two aunts are just brilliant because they're so, like, the nicest people ever. The fact that they don't realize... They, they can't realize that they're doing something wrong. I think we could start the services now. Yeah. Oh... We thought we heard you leave. Perish the thought, dear aunties. That was just Mortimer. And speaking of services, Aunt Martha, will you make us some coffee while we take Mr. Spinalzo down to the cellar? Oh, no. No, Jonathan, you've got to take him with you. There's a friend of Mortimer's downstairs waiting for him. A friend of Mortimer's? Take his feet, Doctor. Mr. Spinalzo and he will get along fine together. They're both dead. <laughs> He must mean Mr. Hoskins. Mr. Hoskins? You know about what's down there? Of course we do. And he's no friend of Mortimer's. He's one of our gentlemen. Your gentlemen? Yeah, I thought that one the like we haven't done that many comedies, like out uh, out and out comedies, let's say in a uh, uh, like, I think that this movie is extremely funny. I think it has, but like, both the timing on the performances, but the script as well. Uh, together, they do a very good job. Like, even when jokes don't make you laugh, they make you smile. I think that it's that kind of movie that I uh, not necessarily laugh throughout, but I always have, like, a smile on my face whenever I watch it. It's both funny and really dark, but it both gives you like hope for humanity and re- makes you realize how inside every person's heart uh, there's a lump of coal just waiting <laughs> to burn down. So, uh, without further ado, I was wondering uh, what, uh, what what did you think of arsenic and old lace? <laughs> I was trying to think of like weirder double bills that we've had than collective and this and i don't i don't think that we have had a weirder combination of films i can't think of two films that are so further away from each other as well um not in a bad way uh yeah i feel like this film had um like kind of a big job uh after last week because um, it had to and because of what happened this week um just for context uh fascists storming the capitol building in uh washington um but uh, yeah, it had to it had to both sort of cheer me up uh, and also manage to distract me from the horror of the world for you know a good ninety minutes, um, and by golly, it did. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, this is a bananas film, um, and I don't think I don't think I can quite convey that to people when they haven't seen it because it is like it definitely shares 
um it shares like the pace of it happened one night um in that it's like 90 miles an hour like there's no there's absolutely no let up in this film at all like so much so like if you if you blink you miss like like 10 quips because <laughs> there's so much like like physical visual comedy as well as like every character like is there's just like constant 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 and a lot of scenes there are multiple characters doing things at the same time oftentimes it's Cary Grant screaming into the phone just off camera um but uh yeah I <laughs> we we watched this last night and uh pretty much laughed constantly through it all like I'd say about like it's 50 50 and just like yeah that's funny and 50 50 like what <laughs> this film is so weird um I saw uh I was looking at some of the letterbox reviews because I was really curious what um uh well there's just not an awful lot of like modern kind of reevaluations of this film for whatever reason like um I read a lot of the like original reviews from when it came out, but um, I was looking on Letterboxd, which is always a charming place, um, where someone described the chaotic nature as the perfect representation of 2020. And I was like, yeah. Uh, so really, I think instead of going out and watching um, Death to 2020, you should just watch this movie because um, <laughs> every beat of chaos and darkness is represented. Um, it's funny seeing Clark Gable in this. Um, Cary Grant? Or Cary Grant, rather. I've written down Clark Gable, like, everywhere in this. I don't know why. All my notes say Clark Gable. What the fuck are they? The number of people who think he looks like Clark Gable. Cary Grant. Um, I find it really interesting that he hated his performance. Um, it, it is very big. It, it is the biggest of all their performances in, in every way. Like, in, in, in physical performance in like even just what he's doing with his eyes alone at all times but also just in general volume um there's an awful lot of Cary Grant like screaming in this movie um there's one moment in this film which might be one of my favorite like it it, it, in like everything about it is perfect which is when uh Jonathan and Clark Gable <laughs> and Cary Grant run over and like both sit on the window seat at the same time and Cary Grant has now realizes that his brother <laughs> is responsible for the body and he like he just does it's the blocking it's where the two it's I don't know if both uh I don't know if both answer there at this time but it's like the blocking of all the characters in the corner and like just his physical performance of suddenly everything dawning on him and him doing the recalculation of what he needs to do next is like it's he's doing everything like he's doing things with his shoulders with like it's 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 such a masterclass in like overacting but in a good way i suppose um yeah like i th- I think that perhaps it works because he's overacting but he's overacting one emotion but at any point of this movie he's actually also acting five other emotions underneath so yeah. because it's like if you're just overacting going i'm happy and you're just overacting happiness it becomes really tiring but if you're over acting happiness but underneath you have despair and confusion (laughs) and it's um, like it's like incredulity masking 10 other emotions (laughs) through most of this film 
So I suppose it's kind of like it's still complex, even though there is like something that is completely big kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I understand even from like as I was watching it and afterwards, whenever I was reading like reviews and stuff on Letterboxd of people and what you said as well, at the top of people who come very much against this film. And I can 100% understand how if this film caught you on the wrong day, you would hate it. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> there's said, no in between. Like, it's that kind of movie, no, I think. No. Because you, you have to just strap in with this movie because there's no let up at all. Um, like, it's it's zany with the biggest capital Z. Like, it really is. And that is a word that you, you need to be in the right frame of mind for it. And... Um, thankfully when I watched it yesterday I'd had a lovely day um, which started off with homemade hummus chips uh, with pita chips and like oh spices delicious ended with homemade burrito bowls uh, I went out I went to the market it was just it was a wonderful day so when I sat down I was like yeah I was all poised I was like if I'd been in even a slightly different mood I probably would have hated this yes. so <laughs> I think you kind of lucked out on that um I do think it's too long, though. Um, like, not while watching it, but when it ended, I was like, <sighs> it's hard to know what to extract from it. But, it, yeah, I, I feel like it shouldn't be as long as it is, because it's only two hours, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it cut down from a play that was about three hours long, so there's already, like, a lot of, well, two and a half hours usually a play is. So there's yeah. already quite a bit of editing, I think, that they did to the text. And I think that they kind of like uh, rushed the ending a bit. But I suppose that that's the catch-22. Either yeah. make a, the denouement too long or whatever. Like, uh, Yeah, I do feel like the bit where the ants pull him aside and tell him that he's not actually a Brewster uh, is kind of... <laughs> it's a little bit too... Just kind of like shoved in there at the end, and he's like, you know, running after his lady friend, and she's like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Ah. Um, but at the same time, I think that it, it works uh, because he is as mental as them, because it's like, I suppose that is the thing of uh, nature versus nurture. That, like, I think that he's been raised in the family of crazies, so <laughs> but like, he just go he just becomes oblivious the same way that Teddy and Johnny don't realize that they're fucking nuts. <laughs> Or the, the the ants that like he has this moment of self-realization of going maybe because he's not a Brewster, he's able to realize that he's crazy and he's afraid of it. But then when they say, oh, you're not a Brewster, he's like, everything is fine. I'm a normal <laughs> person. I didn't just try to institutionalize my brother. No, actually succeeded to put my yeah. brother and my two aunts in a mental health institution. And just, I did like that there was one moment of um, kind of wokeness from the doctor where they're like, uh, someone says like loony bin or something, and he's like, you know, what he he like corrects him, and he's like, oh no, we don't call it that, we call it uh, a care home or something, or like a you know, or like a respite, you know, something like that. He like corrects him, he's like, oh no no no, no we don't call him that, you know. <laughs> like, we tried to think of it as a rest <laughs> yes. home or something. Yeah, says. that was it. And I was like, that's strangely progressive, I suppose. Um, I don't think like I have no desire to watch this film again. Is is what I'd say. Um, like it's it was a riot and it was like entertaining, but I would I will go to other Frank Capra movies before I think I'd ever watch this again because it was quite like 
stressful. Um, it feels like a one time, <laughs> a one time thing. I would say that uh, on rewatching it, you realize how good the script is because you're able to see how things are being stacked from the beginning. Mm. So in the perhaps as a writing exercise or a way of like seeing like story structure or whatever, just on the academic sense, I think it's well worth a rewatch because even visually how the movie plants, how the organization of the places, whenever you mm. know what's going up or whatever they, even how they plant the window first with him being able to communicate with his bride. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whenever Johnny walks in, that that's next to the cemetery and it's somewhere that they can hide the car and stuff like that, that it's like very careful, uh, but at the same time, very... Um, a soft guiding hand for the mm. plot that like most of the scenes have like three or four jobs both from a character perspective a story perspective and also planting things both in a character story and also locations perspective and i think that it, it makes it like interesting on a second watch and you're also not as stressed watching it the second time around because you know <laughs> how it's gonna end kind of thing um mm. And I think that, like, largely also appreciate the performances as well a lot more because you realize how good, like, the payoffs for certain things are. Um, yeah, like, I, I think Cary Grant works because he's playing off of them so much of the time and they're just, like, steady the whole way through. Like, there's no... Their their demeanor does not change from, like, their first meeting with, uh, with the reverend. And uh, <laughs> their their dynamic is very good as well. Like I completely buy them as two women who have lived together for like their entire lives or whatever. Like they have such a rapport and such a like, but also very like individual kind of characters. Um, and uh, like there's just moments that are that are so stark. And at the time you're like, that's hilarious, but also so dark. Like whenever they open the the press and it's just full of all the hats. Of all the like, all the men that they've killed, where they're like, and they're like, they dust it off, and they're like, oh, you know, per Mister whatever his hat. I I like also how the sisters or the aunts are like depicted both as like the nicest people ever, but also they make a point as soon as the movie starts that they're incredibly. Uh, xenophobic uh, uh, yep. and, uh, um, but also like about religion and stuff that they uh, mm. oh we wouldn't bury a Methodist or something like uh, I can't remember what religion they 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 mentioned that oh yeah he was good because he was a Methodist but like we wouldn't touch a Pescopalian or something I don't know I think it's like there's there's one whenever they're 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 insisting that um uh, the guy that they knock off and the guy that Jonathan has knocked off, they can't possibly bury them together because one of them is a Methodist and one of them is a foreigner. So they haven't even attributed a religion to the foreigner. He's just the foreigner. Vaguely so Italian, I kinda, yeah. It made me, it made me wonder if... Um, uh, if they have some sort of questionnaire that they pull out every time one of these like old dudes like, lands over to their house... Um, and the fact that they're luring them in as well with a sign outside, which I, I didn't realize until a good bit through the fall, but I was like, oh yeah, they've been like advertising for these bird like 
destitute man to like come into their house so they can murder them uh, but in a nice way in a charitable way every character in this is like focusing on so many things at the one time except for Teddy who's just very singularly focused on being the president and you know worrying about digging the Panama Canal <laughs> like because even Jonathan is is you know he's thinking about that he's like on the run he needs to deal with his body he also needs to get his doctor to like redo his face and all that stuff it's like I did love that um who do they keep comparing Jonathan to Boris Karloff Boris Karloff who plays Jonathan in the play I think so it's like the original version of the play so it was like a, a nod to the actual play which I thought was quite funny but uh, yeah, I like I like how everyone is very harried at, at all times. Um, and then we have our, our poor female character. Um, <laughs> she's great. What else have I seen her in? Yeah, like uh, just reading about her, like the, she uh, became a very devout Catholic and stopped acting in 1948. Uh, oh. Ironically, her final role was called Doris Brewster. So like there was something no about it. Yeah, like she was uh, her last movie was The Bodyguard, but not the one that you think. She was also <laughs> a million dollar baby, not the one that oh. you think. I think that like uh, I'd seen some reviews like on IMDb and stuff like that. Uh, people criticizing um, the female characters in this movie, and I think that that's kind of unfair because. You have the two, like, is that usually they, all those reviewers seem to discount the two older ladies as female characters. Yeah. Which obviously they are. It's kind of like ageist and somewhat misogynistic that if you're not a pretty young woman, you're not a female character. And I think they're yeah. given like a lot of depth and characterization and like their memorable performances. But when it comes to Priscilla Lane, I think that it's that kind of thing that perhaps the the role is saved by the performance rather than... Uh, oh, I think that's definitely true, yeah. Because I think her performance is so great at being like the one sane person in the entire movie that even the cops are bumbling idiots, uh, uh, which I quite appreciated being 2021. The, like, mm. um, like O'Hara is hilarious. I really like uh, his performance. Like he's both competent and absolutely a fucking buffoon. Uh, I like when the captain rolls around and he's like, "I haven't slept in twenty eight hours." And say that he, people are like idiots and that like they get. Didn't you get the fucking memo? Here's the description. The description said that he looked like Boris Karloff, and his assistant. His uh, there's a, he's walking around with a German doctor, and they give the entire description. The Peter Lore is just like frozen, and then. And I have to say, like, Peter Lore, like, he was born to play this kind of character. Like, he's a <laughs> what famous... What do I know him from? He's in Casablanca and stuff like that. He always plays, like, the slightly, like, seedy, ratty kind of character. But apparently, like, he was very charismatic and stuff. But uh, he just got typecasted, but he didn't give a shit because it was, like... Money! <laughs> but I think his performance is, like... He was Hungarian. Yeah, like he, like I think he went to a, a United States fleeing the Nazis. So mm. this would have been like Casablanca would have been like one of the first movies that he did after crossing the Atlantic. The way that you said that, like he has a performance of somebody that is completely uh, that the film is stressed. I think the 
he portrays stress like nobody's business. Like he's so good at being stressed in movies, I think. Take it easy, Johnny. Take it easy. Don't worry. The last five years I give him three different phases. I give him another one right away. That last phase, I saw that picture too, just before I operate and I was intoxicated. You were mentioning that uh, there were a couple issues that you thought about the movie. I was wondering what, uh, before we go into like final thoughts and the rest, if you if you could voice them. Um, I think you've kind of touched on most of them there, um, just as we were talking. Um, I think it is too long, um, and also that the <laughs> the opening is strange. I have to say as well, like. The setting was a little weird, like, with the, the whole idea of it being in Brooklyn, and there's a lot of jokes about Brooklyn and stuff that I don't know if it would have played better in the actual theat- like the theater version of it or not. Like, I don't think it's bad, it just felt a little kind of out of place or something, but it didn't really matter that it was in Brooklyn, and it starts off with this whole, like, uh... Yeah, I don't know. The opening just kind of bothered me. Well, I suppose that it's like an opening that hasn't aged particularly well, considering they even like the Brooklyn Dodgers don't even play in Brooklyn anymore that they play in L.A. Yeah, I don't um, think that matters. It's more just... Yeah, but I mean, it's uh, there was like the whole, like, the way that Brooklyn was, is you know, like that you, you have places... Uh, in certain countries, they're like the butt of a joke kind of thing. You know, mm. like the way the cork is in a way to Ireland. Um, you know what I mean? That is not like... And uh, then you go there and you're like, this is lovely. Yeah, but <laughs> it, but, it, but even like the... It's like the type of people, whatever, that it's like Brooklyn used to be like... Yeah, it's quite peaceful and stuff. But somehow you still get like people to get into punch-ups and stuff in baseball it matches. kind of... It kind of made me think of how people talk about like New Jersey or Staten Island now, like where it's like New York's trash heap or something. I don't know that like so much of like even some like Pete Davidson's humor is completely built around the fact that he's from Staten Island and it's like you're looking across at Manhattan and but like yeah I don't know like I don't think it's a major I don't think there's any major flaws in this. Um, it was more just like small things that afterwards I was like the, that kind of bothered me but uh, no I don't really have any you know I I got I got there <laughs> yeah they even like uh, like uh, we were talking about like Priscilla Lane's character that I think that if um, if it was played by anybody else it'd probably be a flawed piece but I think that she's just about in enough of the movie yeah. to and also the fact that like her chemistry with Cary Grant is palpable let's say um, yeah. I, I really like the 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 scenes whenever she's just trying to talk to him and he's just so overwhelmed with everything like he's just like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. completely forgets that like, you got married I think there is like one too many of those though or he's literally just like fuck off you know and you're like okay we get it uh, yeah, kind of, it starts to lose the humor after a while when it's like yeah, maybe she just wants to have her wedding night, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they're going to go to Niagara Falls and have a lovely time. And like, as someone who hasn't had a holiday in a very long time, I had it. I, I took issue with that. These stupid murdering women. 
And okay. I kind of like that it's kind of like romantic in a way that it's like, oh yeah, she's breaking, like even doing it without permission of her dad because otherwise they wouldn't be able to get married and stuff. Because he's written all these like snide books about how marriage is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I love how... It, While like, also being a theater critic. <laughs> that's what I mean about like being like so specific about things that even the theater critic thing comes back don't those plays you see all the time teach you anything? Oh, stop it. Don't get me on the subject of plays. I've got a lot on my mind now. I've got to wait here for Mr. Witherspoon. At least people in plays act right. like they got sense. Oh, you think so? Did you ever see anybody in a play act like they got intelligence? Uh, how Did can you? somebody be so Well, I had so my job stupid. for a few nights. Listen to me, brother. When you get out of prison, you have yourself wheeled over to the Garrick Theater. <laughs> there's a play there that's a honey. It's so bad it'll still be running when you get out. Now, in it, there's a man. Now, listen to this. Now, he knows he's in a house with murderers, mm-hmm. so he ought to know he's in danger. He's even been warned to get out of the house. And does he go? Yes. No, he doesn't. He stays. <laughs> this fellow doesn't even have sense enough to be scared. No. Or to be on his guard. No, no. The murderer even invites him to sit down. And what do you think he does? Oh, I don't know. He sits down. Isn't that one way? He deliberately pulls up a chair <laughs> like that, and he sits down in it. Isn't that great? <laughs> So there he is, all waiting to be trussed up and gagged. <laughs> now, what do you think they used to truss him up with? What? The curtain cord. <laughs> but didn't he see him get it? See him get it? No, the silly chump sits down with his back toward the murderer. All he has to do is look around, but does he? No. It's such a stupid joke and an obvious joke, but it's done so well that you're like you forgive it you know there's is that kind of movie that it's somehow it's able to know that it's stupid and go yeah. with it and I but think, at the same yeah. time not be because you see like the Coen brothers versions of the lady killers is a good example of when a movie has this type of dark humor and it completely fails because Tom Hanks has a lot of different talents, but doing dark humor is not one of them. This is treading a lot of fine lines, like, oh my God. And, and even then, again, I think if you saw it on the wrong day, it wouldn't sit right. Oh yeah, it's I a think... very loud movie. It's probably the loudest yeah. movie that I enjoy. Like, there's war movies yeah. that the sound is like lower kind of thing. It's a very shouty movie. And... It is a very shouty movie. And, and, yet, and yet kind of gets away with it, which I think is sort of impressive i do think with a lot of the um, the scenes of like the obvious humor um i think they end up working particularly the thing with the curtain ropes and stuff is that because jonathan is played just like straight <laughs> and like he's just kind of like straight menacing and they off like a lot of time the film is using that against him but as a character he's just kind of he's just like straight up like you know i'm i walked out of a different movie um <laughs> And we've just about set him up enough with the like finding a picture of like evil Jonathan in the press. It's like, oh, cool, okay. Wonder when that's gonna come back. Well, Jonathan, well, he's probably in prison or hanged or something by now. I saw a play last week, had a character in it, reminded me of Jonathan. No, really? Yeah. Oh, honey of a lunatic. That, I think it, it kind of gets away with, with moments like that, even if like Cary Grant, like completely over, like, uh, overdoing the whole like also Cary Grant like I wonder like does he like plays I feel like he doesn't <laughs> it's like his character <laughs> he said so much of those like complaining about um of uh things that he has to sit through in the theater and I'm like I understand that um 
But uh, yeah. And I love uh, Jonathan's whole motivation in the movie after he comes in and it's like, escape is his motivation. And then it's like, what? My aunts are better murderers than me. I need to. <laughs> but there's like a little moment of like uh, competition as well. You've done all of that right here in this house and buried them in the cellar. <laughs> That's wonderful, Johnny. <laughs> We've been chased all over the world. They stay right here in Brooklyn and they do just as good as you do. What? Yeah. <laughs> you got 12, they got 12. I've got 13. No, Johnny, 12. Don't brag. What was your favorite thing? I think it's the performances is the is what modulates everything. I think that, um, like I said, I think the movie does enough cinema, uh, cinematically to warrant it not just being the play. It's not like oh, yeah. Fences, for example, like or <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw um, recently Marani's Black Bottom, which. Mm almost gets away with being the movie like it, it feels like a really good uh filming of the stage play if you get mm. me like it feels like you're watching theater well but in a good way it's like it's such a good play and the performances are so good and like it is incredibly sad to see chadwick boseman being so skinny mm. and stuff in it and but it is like a, a a good watch. I recommend people to watch it. But I think that it's Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and it was really enjoyable. Like, uh, uh, but in the case of this movie, it doesn't feel. Even though everything good about it co- originated in the play, let's say that is like the dialogue, the plotting, even the staging is probably quite similar. But mm. how they use the pay, like use edits to pace the movie that you wouldn't have obviously on a play i think and you close-ups use of <laughs> yeah so like a carrie grant's crazed face oh yeah like uh, i i i like that but i also like that they didn't completely minimize because like that performance on the stage must be so big for people to like get what's going yeah. like the the people in the nosebleed seats to I, to get what's I going could on not, i couldn't i would never go see this play like no <laughs> but i think no. that the, the every single performance in this movie is perfectly modulated to be able to carry the tone and i'm glad about it because i think that if any of them were particularly off mm. the whole infrastructure the whole structure of the movie would collapse on itself because the pacing is so non-stop but also the every scene and every character is just building on what came before that if one of them felt fake but also if it felt if you went oh no that shit or you know because especially like i've seen a lot of 40s movies and stuff and there's a lot of movies that are good and then like somebody shows up that shouldn't be in the movie (laughs) and you're like uh, oh, and then it, ripped out of the <laughs> of the experience you know like and then you 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 have to well, force yourself in Zodiac. back to that movie and i think because the pacing of this movie is so uh, uh, such a next uh, a neck breaking speed that if you 
last five minutes trying to like reconfigure your brain because of a performance <laughs> you you missed You're half gone. the movie kind of thing You're yeah. Gone. yeah you missed 500 quips uh <laughs> what about yourself what's your favorite thing uh i think probably the performances as well but specifically the two ants um i kind of love like matriarch characters in movies like this where they're kind of the ones behind the scenes sort of like controlling things like even that there's a lot of references to them sort of like you know orchestrating the whole uh mortimer and uh oh golly what's her name Let's see. I can't remember her name. Like their their marriage that whenever he comes to tell them or whenever they're spying and they see that they've got married, they're like, hee hee, our plan worked. <laughs> and that like, you know, even though they, they're not ever revealed to be like, there's no evil behind them. They're still like very like scheming, which I find incredibly enjoyable. And their performances are so like measured and just to be able to like the whole scene in the kitchen I think is one of my favorite when uh they're icing the cake um well like he's like trying to get the information out of them when they're like going through like <laughs> like one of them she's like, icing the cake and she's like oh no 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 it's only 11 she's like oh no it's 12 and they're like going through all the different people that they murdered she's like oh no I think she's right she's always right and like there's so much going on in the scene at the same time and like the fact that at one point they're icing the cake and then later on we have like whenever the cop is in the kitchen and he's like got like a big handful of cake in his hand he's just like eating it while talking about his play um it's it's yeah i i love them so much so uh what was uh your least favorite thing if you have one i i suppose it's like there are bits that have aged um I think that the movie doesn't have any uh, real, whatchamacallit, like a overbearing flaw in itself. But there's certain bits that like, I suppose it's a movie from the 40s for what it is. It hasn't aged that poorly. Uh, I think it's a movie that in itself gives the benefit of the doubt to all its characters except for Johnny. Mm. Uh, uh, and Johnny seems to be like just a creature of evil and i suppose that like a lot of stories are that way um mm. don't think that it's necessarily a flawless movie but it's like i i enjoy so much watching it that i find it hard to pinpoint anything that i would change on it like you said it probably doesn't need to be two hours long but i don't know what i cut out of it you know like it's the, mm. it's a uh, um the whole thing would need to be completely repaced for that you know what i mean like it's because it is so tight yeah, and it, it it would suffer perhaps of also um, not having sins of the father issues. Like sin of, sins of the father is like the inherent um, uh, plot holes or whatever from the original text. But you can also introduce plot holes by changing the original text. Mm. And I think that perhaps... Uh, this movie more than anything else was uh, very adamant to change anything because the repercussions of any change would be so <laughs> there's so much plot <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah and what's your least favorite thing um... yeah I don't think it's like one thing it's kind of like an accumulation of like a few small things i do think it is quite progressive 
in its uh, handling of like mental health and like to to the most part there are moments that are a little like but at the same time like other than Mortimer trying to like scapegoat Teddy everyone every other character only treats him like respectfully and like they treat him with care as in like it's annoying that he keeps doing the thing with the trumpet but at the same time like you know they they're trying to like make his life as comfortable as possible uh, and even whenever like the guy who runs the sanatorium is not like a creep he's like seems like relatively like you know it's like <laughs> as well he says something about like whenever they're trying to get the ants in and he's like oh no we can't take sane people he says something about that it would change the dynamic or something as in like bringing in sane people is detrimental to the the people who already live there because like they'll be taken advantage of or something I think is kind of his point which is kind of interesting but um, yeah like I mean there's so many examples of, of films that of like even in the last like five or ten years that do not handle mental health as well as this film does so this is an awful lot of there's similar things of like films that would have a female character role in this that, that would fall much flatter than this one does not the, even if you take performance out of it so uh, which is kind of interesting but there's just so much of uh, the 40s that we lost in the decades in between. <laughs> and I, I love also Who in that... can I blame? The in, 50s. There we go. In that scene, whenever you're uh, uh, describing whenever he's trying to commit his aunt as well, the bit where he's climbing up the stairs, going up and down, trying to like convince the cops that they're crazy. And it's like, they're bo- my bodies, they're not any of them gentlemen or whatever. And then it's like... <laughs> they're the- all ladies. <laughs> you might like mine more. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Man. That's even... <laughs> I like everything we've said is like... I can't imagine listening to this episode having not seen this film. Um, <laughs> but anyways... It was very enjoyable and it was quite distracting, uh, which was very nice. So uh, thank you for picking it. I'm glad that you liked it. I think the... yeah. No, I did. I read it. I'm glad that you didn't watch it on the 6th of January. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, um... So Ricardo, where can they find us? On Facebook, uh, The Recommendation Game. On Twitter, at The Rec Game. Or email is TheRecommendationGame at gmail.com. We're on Dublin Digital Radio every Monday, 11 to 12. And you can find our back episodes on your podcaster of choice or Dublin Digital Radio. So, Orla, next week is your pick. What are you picking? Between the Lines from Joan Micklin Silver, who only died on the 31st of December. So... Uh, I have never even heard of this person and I watched this film the other day and it's fucking great. <laughs> it's like a fantastic hangout movie uh, and I never picked those. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. So uh, yeah, until then, I was Orla Martinez. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>